Hi there, I'm Tracy Poisner. This is the Undeletable Dad podcast. I'll be your guide through the post-divorce wilderness so you can find your parenting mojo again and take it back. This podcast is going to grab you by the lapels and shake you hard. It's time to snap out of whatever kind of trance you're in and get started on the road to becoming the irresistibly magnetic leader of your family because that's how you beat parental alienation at its own damn game. If you want to go beyond whatever you can get from me in these few minutes a week, visit undeletabledad.com to create the kind of parenting lifestyle you want and have the degree of influence your kids deserve. That's undeletabledad.com. In part two of my interview with attorney and author Ashish Joshi, he's going to explain why it's so important for the courts to determine whether the problem is really alienation, where the child can't point to anything that would justify their strong feelings against the targeted parent, or whether it's estrangement, where a child could have very good reasons for wanting to keep a distance from a parent. Maybe they have history of actually harming them, either physically or psychologically. Let's listen. If the family dysfunction happens to be that of alienation, the clinical treatment for that family dynamic is radically different from that, uh, let's say, of abuse or other family dynamic. Right. And I think what you're what you're talking about here, this potential situation where the child seems to be doing well in all areas of their life, but they absolutely refuse to have anything to do with their father. You know, that's the pathology or mother, right? But that is a sign of unwellness. That is a pathological sign. That's the, that's the same as if you said the child appears to be doing all well in all areas of their life, but they're cutting themselves. Yes. They're cutting themselves or there are eating disorders. Right. Uh, some kind of violent behavior, uh, physical lashing out. Exactly. You, and you you might not see those things, but the evidence is in the fact that it is not, it's not consistent with a healthy, well-developing child personality that they wish to completely cut off one parent. It just doesn't happen except in this kind of circumstance. True. Or where there's really been, a, let's say, some kind of severe abuse. But if you're if a parent is being uh, accused of being unfit, that has to happen in a separate, that has to be determined in some kind of separate process and not brought in as a, as a kind of suspicion. Unfit is there, and, and that's, that's a lightning rod right there. Often the argument is made that the child is rejecting the parent, let's say the father, yeah. Because the father is an unfit parent or lacks empathy or sensitivity towards the child. And when you dig deeper and you look at the complaints made by the child or the favorite <laughs> parent, they don't really tantamount to abusive behavior. Right. Uh, and they are frivolous rationalizations for rejection. And yeah. what's more, even if the rejected parent works on those very issues, he can be never perfect. You know, right. there never comes a time in the case of alienation where the rejected parent is able to correct the flaws because right. there always will be another excuse. I have, exactly. I have had cases where the child, uh, when ultimately 
pushed back and asked to explain what was the reason he or she didn't want to see the dad, ultimately said, he just looks funny. Yeah. I, I can see he's going to be angry when we get home. Well, was he angry last time? No, but I know he yeah. will. Right. The, the excuses never stop. Yeah. Yeah, my one client has a, a a child who is, you know, has been in therapy for this for quite a long time already and keeps saying, um, I believe my father doesn't love me. And when you push to say, well, what, why do you think that? What does your father do that makes you think he doesn't love you? Well, one time he didn't make my bed. And one time he didn't have a thermos for me to take to school. Like they're, the, the answers are quite ridiculous and they're never anything more specific or more profound than that. Exactly. Um, so they, I think too often the um, judges and lawyers and, you know, guardians ad litem are just impressed with the um, intensity of the child's expression of how much they don't want to see that parent and they don't press them to provide some underpinning that would make sense. And as you, as I've read in your writing that even if there's a reason, even if they can point to something that really happened, the react, the response of the child to never want to see them again is out of proportion to what happened because in a real case where the the let's say the father is not empathetic or doesn't understand or you know spend enough attention on the child a normal child will continue to try to get what they need from that parent like forever i mean that's what therapists all over the world are dealing with people who say my father never recognized me or never understood me or something you never stop wanting that in a healthy relationship and in these relationships where they cut the parent off for something quite minor that becomes like the unforgivable incident that they talk about. Uh, like that is the symptom. That's the red flag. Right. One of the most unhelpful pieces of advice that I've seen lawyers give to their clients in these cases is to take a break. Yeah. A temporary, temporary cooling off period. And I've seen this time and again, and unfortunately, it happens to be most of the times the fathers, although mm -hmm. I've seen moms being given this advice as well when they face alienation. But the argument goes that the child is resisting the relationship or rejecting the parent, refusing to come to parenting time. So instead of rushing to the court and filing a motion for enforcement or contempt, let's take a, some, let's take a little break here. Let's have a cooling off period and a few weeks go by and then months go by and all of a sudden you have a new normal. You right. have a new status quo and you go back to court in months after that and the judge is wondering, well, what really happened here? If the kid has had no contact with the parent for all this time, well, let's not rush back into the contact and let's have a forensic done or some sort of supervised visitation, lunches in the restaurant and whatnot. And that reinforces the false narrative that the rejected parent is somehow unsafe or dangerous to be around. Right. And it's very hard to climb back from that slippery slope. 
There's so much to unpack here, I hardly even know where to begin. First, I'd like to say a few words about the quote-unquote unforgivable incident that I mentioned. That's a well-known phenomenon in the world of parental alienation, where the child speaks about one incident that happened with the dad over and over to justify their strong feelings about why they don't want to have contact with him. It's like they perseverate about one time that something happened and there's no way to get past it. Even if there's a real incident, things happen in life. You know, parents lose their temper with their kids or they discipline them too harshly. I know that I can think back to a time when my own dad said that I wouldn't be getting a bike for my birthday because I had been disobedient in some way or other. And I was so mad. As I recall, I didn't talk to him for three days. And that was a big deal back then. But I can't imagine what might have happened if my mother had wanted to remind me of that incident that hurt again and again to keep it alive in me. As it was, of course, I eventually got over it. I think even he realized that he'd been too harsh and we just moved on. That's what's supposed to happen. You fight about things and you work them out. It's not healthy or normal to hold a grudge about one thing for the rest of your life. In the case of parental alienation, as Ashish says, there's never a time, even in the context of family therapy, where the target parent can repair that supposed flaw. The child is never deemed ready to move on or to soften their stance. I want to say a word about the idea of taking a break also, because I've spoken about taking a break, but in a different context. When I talk about taking a break, I mean it as an alternative to giving up or throwing in the towel. Like, this shit is extremely hard work, and it wears you down. You get the chance to step back from time to time and, you know, take a break from getting kicked in the teeth on the daily. You have to be able to marshal your resources to get back into the ring and be effective as a parent. The kind of break that Ashish is talking about is a break of allowing the existing court order to be observed so that you're allowing the order to be broken without making arrangements for makeup time or something else to address that change. Even saying, okay, this week we'll take a pass, but we can't do that again next week. Or let's find a different way that we can spend our time together. Or if you don't want to come over this weekend, we need to have a FaceTime each day instead. You have to acknowledge that it's your parenting time. They don't need to know why it's important for them. You're the parent. You know why it's important. It's like going to school. Kids often say they want to stay home, and it's on the parent to take them there anyway. Tomorrow, Ashish will address the problem of traditional therapy and how it's making a complete mess of our already complicated alienation dynamics. See you then. That's all for this episode. If you'd like more of what Undeletable Dad has for you, I offer digital courses, live group programs, and exclusive one-to-one mentorship with me to catapult you right over the barriers of high-conflict parenting into the experience of fatherhood you desire and deserve. Visit undeletabledad.com for more information or reach out to me at tracy at undeletabledad.com. See you next time.